0: All right, if you have found Ecclesiastes chapter 8, why don't you stand? We'll read together God's Word. Ecclesiastes 8, I'm going to start in verse 10 and read down to verse 15. This is going to feel, if you have any amount of frustration in life, you're going to feel these verses. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of our God stands forever. Let's begin verse 10. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and they were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. There is a vanity that takes place on earth. That there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this is also vanity. And I commend joy. For man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and to drink and to be joyful, for this will go with him in his toil. Through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. Join me as we pray. Father, I pray by your Spirit, you will untie the knot that's in so many stomachs here today. Heal the pain. Draw us close and find glory in the people, the men and women of your church. So we ask you to help us in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> the theme of this section in the Bible ought to be Life is Not Fair. Most of you sitting here already know that. Teenager gets his license and finally has the right to drive to school and on the way to school the roads are slippery and comes off the road, instantly killed. Ricky police officer goes on routine visit and there as he pulls a car off to the side of the road he's shot. young mother with five children finds out she has an aggressive form of cancer that will soon end her life. You all have scenarios like that. You can all come up with something that just doesn't seem fair. And it's frustrating, and it's painful, and it's confusing. Beautiful young couple that loves God and loves to come to church and loves their parents and they get married and they so desperately want to have children and they can't and it's heartbreaking. While those that could care less can get pregnant whenever they want and even worse. Get pregnant and have an abortion. Why is it that some kids that that are raised in an apathetic home, a home that is apathetic to the gospel, grow up to be godly people that love Jesus, while others, raised in a really fine Christian home with a godly mother and a God-fearing dad, come off the rails... Why do some Christian parents have deep scars while others have an Instagram life? It's not fair. Not only is it not fair, it's frustrating because we actually genuinely believe in fairness. We try to love our children equally. We do our jobs squarely. We treat our friends honestly. Why don't we get a fair deal in return? I think that's what Solomon, the preacher, is getting at right here. Here in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, he pauses, and when you read it, I mean, you've read it, when you read it, you can feel the frustration in his voice. Because some of you actually live with frustration. You know it when you see it. I mean, you've you've tried to do the right thing. Still get the short end of the stick. The question then, for Christians, the question is, how do we live? How do you live with joy and contentment and happiness when all you keep getting is a raw deal? I think the preacher gets us there in this passage. I think Solomon is telling us to fear God and forget fairness. Turn your eyes to God. Quit looking for fairness. Now, to get at this, I want to offer up just a couple of things from the the passage. This is what we do. Expositional preaching is taking the passage, read it, tell us what does it mean. And so there are five sections. I'm going to offer up five short phrases that come right from the passage. Here's the first one. Number one, don't panic. Do not panic. You cannot go through life taking everything at face value. As believers in God and as Christians, we believe in an infinite, involved, loving, sovereign God that is working all things big and small for the good of those that love Him and are called according to His purposes. We believe that, but it just doesn't actually feel like that. I mean, you sense that in verse 10. You can feel the frustration when you read it in verse 10. You feel the moral perversity in verse 10. I mean, let's read it let's just uncover something. Let me read the, 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 the text here. <clears throat> the preacher says, then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out in the holy place. They were praised in the city where they had done these things and it's horrible. it's it's, it's vanity. How can it be? That they get to live their life committing all that sin, doing all these terrible things, and everything goes right. I mean, the wicked one, what, what verse 10, what, what the preacher's saying, this wicked person is honored in a funeral, respected at church, goes in and out the holy place, praised by friends, And it just doesn't feel right. You see the injustice he's talking about. Just go phrase by phrase in verse 10. For instance, the first first scenario, I saw the wicked buried. In ancient Israel, a proper burial was part of an honored life. If you were not buried properly, it was the signal that your life was terrible, that you were maybe thrown on Gehenna, the, the terrible heap. But to be buried honorably was a signal that you had lived a really good life. To not be buried was a final dishonor. And the preacher's looking at this terrible, wicked person, and he had a really good funeral. It's hard. You've been at a funeral. It's hard to go to a funeral of somebody that was a terrible person and hear everybody act like he was a saint. You want to say, who's in that box over there? Or or the second phrase. The the second phrase is not just um, the funeral. The second phrase is the holy place. It could be the temple. It could be some religious ceremony. But the preacher's saying, here's this wicked person. He's coming in and out of, let's just put it in our context. He's coming in and out of church. Everybody knows he's a hypocrite. And yet they're treating him like he's a saint. Or the third phrase, come down to verse 10. The third phrase, <clears throat> he talks about this wicked person. They were praised in the city. Um, that could be with business, probably has to do with friends. They were praised in the city after they had done such things. You know, what my mind went to, um, those of you that, are, <clears throat> that read apologetics and Christian theology... There was um, a man who was a leader in apologetics. His name was Ravi Zacharias. My, my thought, my mind went to Ravi Zacharias with all the hundreds and thousands of people that looked up to him and trusted him and learned from him <clears throat> and all the abuse and the lies and the hurt that he caused. There's rottenness. And the preacher, that's what he's saying in verse 10 there's a rottenness there you see he's taking us somewhere i mean you you have to go the whole passage goes together he's taking us somewhere he's telling us that look sometimes sometimes the wicked are honored sometimes hypocrites get ahead sometimes your friends are liars and here in verse 10, you see what he's doing, don't you? He's paving the way for the only true wisdom that there is. That is to fear God. That's where he's going to take us in verse 15. To fear God thats what he's going to say in verse 12. To fear God. To turn your thoughts. Quit looking for, for fairness. Or maybe you've been burned so bad you still have bitterness. You've got to deal with the bitterness. or You've been hurt so deep that the wound won't heal. We, we need to come to Jesus with this or... Or frustration, maybe you just live with a certain level of frustration. You never did get as far as you thought you should or treated as good as you should have been treated. We need to take that to God. Now, the preacher doesn't get us there yet in verse 10, but that's where he's headed. That's where he's going. And the first step we have to take is don't panic. Bad news in verse 10. Let's go to some more bad news in verse 11. First point. Don't panic. Second point, don't doubt. Don't doubt. You see it in verse 11? Going to talk about justice in verse 11. Now justice, a delay in justice is not an absence in justice. A delay is not an absence. But there is an effect uh, to a delay. Notice what the effect is in verse 11. The preacher, here's what he's doing. He's going to tie verse 10 and verse 11 together. So verse 10, the wicked person is treated really well. And then verse 11, he talks about the effects of what happened in verse 10. He steps back and says, this is what happens. Let me read it to you, verse 11. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily... The heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. They think they can get away with it. When justice is delayed, people feel like they got away with it. And if you can do something and not get caught, do something and not get caught, do something and not get caught, then you just keep doing worse. There are several things in verse 11 I think would be worth talking about. I think I want to just give you two things in particular. Um, <clears throat> let me give you two interesting things and then a bonus. Two things and then a bonus, which actually means three things. Let me, get, let me give them to you real quick. Uh, the, I, want, I want you to see two things about sin and then a bonus. Okay, I want you to see the source of sin and the severity of sin. Source of sin, severity of sin. Let's talk about the source of sin. Notice what the text says in verse 11. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily. In other words, people see they're not punished. What happens? The heart of the children of man. That's that's me and you, the children of man, men and women. The heart. That's the source of sin. You don't need Satan to help you sin. You don't need the devil to tempt you to sin. There's plenty of sin in you to make you sin. The source of sin, the the heart of the problem is our heart. Isn't Isn't that what God says in Jeremiah 17, verse 11, when the Lord says that the heart is deceitful above all things, it is desperately sick, who can understand it? The heart is deceitful above all things. It is desperately sick, who can understand it? Now, you need to consider that verse, Jeremiah 17, verse 9. You need to consider that verse when we, if you ever tell a lost person, hey, look, just follow your heart, you're giving them very bad advice. Do not follow your heart, because your heart is desperately sick. It is deceitful above all else. We need to remember this verse when we talk about what it means to, uh, to be converted, what it means to become a Christian. We need to be careful with our language when we tell someone, you need to give your heart to Jesus. Give your heart to Jesus. Jesus doesn't want your heart. You know why? Because your heart is deceitful above everything. It is desperately sick. Jesus doesn't want your heart The Bible says He wants to give you a new heart. I mean, isn't that what God says in Ezekiel 36, 26? God says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you, I'll remove that heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. This is is our concept of sin. We are not sinners because we sin, We sin because we are sinners. And the source of that sin is our hearts. Look further, look closer now. Look not just at the source, but look at the severity of sin. You see this all throughout the Bible, but here's a really nice kind of pinpoint spotlight right there in verse 11. Look look at the severity of sin. Do you see in the second phrase in verse 11, the heart is fully set to do evil. God sent the flood back in Genesis. Why? Because people's hearts were evil all the time, only violence. The old preachers used to call this total depravity, total depravity, which is really uh, misleading because total depravity sounds like you are as bad as you could possibly be. And all of us know we're not as bad as we could possibly be. We could be a whole lot worse than what we are. That's not what total depravity means. Total depravity means that everything about us is affected by our sin. Everything in us. All all of us. It's like a dye that seeps into a cloth. It, it, It affects all of it. It comes into our hearts and brains and decisions and minds. Even our good motives have been tainted by sin. Sin has seeped into every crevice into our brains, and it shows us our desperate condition and our need for Christ. I mean, this passage right here in verse 11 just shows us the the source and severity of sin. This is why we need the gospel. Remember, that's what the preacher's doing is he shows us our need for God. You know, there's one other thing here in verse 11 that I'll give you the bonus. Here's the bonus. One other thing about delayed justice, that that we should be thankful for this. Remember, the Bible teaches that the wages of sin is death. A wage is what you earn. If you commit sin, you deserve to die. You, You read the Old Testament, you find that cropping up here and there. Nadab and Abihu is a good example. The strange fire, they were killed instantly. The wages of sin is death. And since you and I did not die instantly after we sinned, the justice of God was delayed. The delaying of the justice of God was a good thing. It's mercy. And if you're a Christian, so those of you that are, that are in Christ, if you're a Christian, we believe that God not only delayed justice But on our behalf, turn the full wrath, all of that justice, onto Jesus at the cross. That God poured out all of that justice on Jesus at the cross. And there at the cross of Jesus, the justice of God is met and the mercy of God is dispensed to all who will believe. This gives hope for any sinner, any sinner that will look to Christ. You read verse 11 and you find out that that justice has been delayed. It brings me to a third point. Now, we've talked two things. One, don't panic. The second point, don't don't doubt. Let me give you a third point. You'll find it in verse 12 and 13, and that is to trust God. I, I want you to trust God with you. I want you to believe that He is good, that He's taking, taking you somewhere. Verse 12 and 13, when you read it, you've got to take those together to get the point. So let me read it. Um, Verse twelve and thirteen really is the answer of faith. You see, it uh, there's a really positive feel that although it looks bad um, and sin is tremendous against the one who is being sinned against, it's tremendous, and the sinner looks like he's flourishing. The eyes of faith trust that God is doing something. Let, let's read it. Verse twelve. <clears throat> Though a sinner does evil a hundred times, in other words, though he is one terrible sinner, though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, he's not killed because of his sin, yet, the preacher's saying, I know it looks bad, yet, I know that it it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. This is where we have to trust when we don't see things working out like we think they ought to work out. The preacher's saying, I know it looks like the sinner's getting ahead. I know that it looks like his life is good. Verse 10 says, he had a good funeral. He was accepted at church. All his friends loved him. Here's the first in in Ecclesiastes. This is the first eye on a judgment day. Here's the first eye on eternality. He says, I know that every person will give an account for his or her life. In the civil rights era, that's what Martin Luther King said, that the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. I would only offer up that the arc of the moral universe is long, and it bends toward the throne of God. And there at the throne of God, all things are made right. So the preacher here, he finds great comfort. The preacher is is content in waiting patiently. Are you you content in waiting on the Lord's justice? Do you believe when God God said vengeance is mine, that it indeed is his? Trusting that God is sovereign, that, that God knows what he's doing with you as his child? That, that those he's redeemed in Christ, he actually does love? I mean, I think right there in verse 12, I, I think the real answer for Christian people is right there in verse 12. The preacher says in verse 12, I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. Take those two words in verse 12. Fear God, fear before him. He mentions it again in verse 13. The way of safety the way of satisfaction, the way of of wellness, the way of strength. To have your soul refreshed is to fear God. Now look closer at verse 12. Look closer. The fear of God is the awe of God, this holy caution that arises from realizing the greatness of God. But look even closer at verse 12. It will be well with those that fear God. Why? Why? Because they fear before Him. You see that little phrase at the end of verse 12? They fear before Him. That little phrase before Him is really face. It's the word face. It's, they fear God and they face. They, they worship Him. They run to Him. They see His holiness. They recognize their own sinfulness. They... They run to the cross of Jesus. The preacher says, it's going to be well with those people because they love him above all. I'm I'm asking you today to trust him. To see God for who he is, to run to him, to not panic, don't doubt, to trust him. There's a fourth thing I want you to do. I'm going to carry down to verse 14. And that is... To remember grace. The fourth short phrase, to remember grace. <clears throat> now, when I say remember grace, what I mean is... something very specific. The grace of God that saves you in Jesus. Honestly, just personally, as, just as a Christian man... one of the greatest leveling things in my life is to think on grace. Specifically, think on the grace of God that it took to save me, a sinner bound for hell. To remember that God who is holy has actually forgiven me for my sins in Jesus. It, it, it's good for you now and then to reflect on you personally. You personally personally on the grace it took to save you. This is going to help you from being critical of other people and being judgmental and being hateful when you remember it took just as much grace to save you. That the grace of God in Jesus strengthens me, it it equips me. Think of how God saved you and sustains you and loves you, purchased you. Now, Keep that in mind as you reflect on verse 14. Because the preacher is going to point out another frustrating vanity. Read the vanity in verse 14. There is a vanity that takes place on earth. It's heville, it's vanity. That there are righteous people, get the picture, there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. There are really good people that are punished and really bad people that are rewarded. I was thinking about that and rolling it over and thinking about it and flipping it backwards and forwards and praying through the verse. And It's hard to come up with a good application for this verse, but but I, I found something that I don't think the preacher meant to do. Because he's frustrated. You can feel it. You've felt this frustration before. It doesn't seem right that righteous people are punished and sinful people are rewarded. But without knowing it, the preacher has given us the framework for the gospel. Jordan sang about it this morning in divine exchange. The great frustration in verse 14 should remind us of the great exchange at the cross. Because the only person who has ever actually been righteous was crucified like a terrible sinner. And the exchange is that any terrible sinner that believes, will be treated as if he were fully righteous, covered with the righteousness of Christ. And so, the great frustrations in life, when you walk through them, the great frustrations should remind us of the great exchange at the cross. Remember grace. I'd like to tack one more thing on all of these that I've given you. I've given you four. I'll I'll end with a fifth one. You'll find it in verse 15, number five, and that is to live simple, or I should probably say live simply. Anytime I don't use good English, I have some very loving person send me an email about the bad English. So write down simple, but think simply to live simple. The preacher, you know what he does here? He offers, here's what he does in verse 15. He just offers up some advice to live by. How believers are to live in this confusing and frustrating world. How you live under the sun. You see that phrase in verse 15? Under the sun. It's a phrase that runs all throughout Ecclesiastes. It's a reminder to us that we live our life here on earth there is a life beyond the sun, but right now what we have here is under the sun. So what do we do under the sun? Let me read it, and let's just pull some things out. <clears throat> Verse 15. And I commend joy for a man, for a man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful, for this will go with him in his toil, through the days of his life, that God has given him under the sun. What's the practical advice? I'm going to give you a couple of things to, to consider. You should, seek, you should seek joy in the Lord. Seek your satisfaction and joy in the Lord. The few years you have here on this planet that God has given you, you want to be known as someone that sought joy in the Lord, that you are a person that found joy in the Lord. I'll give you a, a second thing that's just a practical matter. You should find contentment in small things. Find contentment. Isn't that what he says here? To eat and to drink. Find contentment there. I, I, I immediately thought of a cookie two step bluebell ice cream. To, to enjoy that it's a gift here that you don't want to take that too far maybe you just have one bowl you don't take it too far but the idea is to eat and to drink and whatever job or, or work whatever situation the lord has you to find contentment there quit seeking something else contentment in the small things A third practical application here in verse 15 is to develop a heart of gratitude. The the text says, I mean, he says, here you are under the sun, there's nothing better under the sun, and you'll notice in verse 15, there's nothing better under the sun to eat and drink, to be joyful, for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given. This is the gift God has given you that he's gotten you this far in life, you've been through a whole lot of, of stuff, and yet here you are on the Lord's day worshiping. It's good for you to, to look back and give thanks. Uh, at least I've been surprised at how often the preacher is taking us to be grateful, that we should be more grateful, that we should be people that, that thank and not complain, but thank God. Develop gratitude. And I'll give you one last practical application. And that is to maintain your perspective. Get perspective. You see see what it says at the very end? That um, to eat and to drink and to be joyful, for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life, that God has given him under the sun. This verse starts with the phrase, under the sun. This first verse ends with the phrase, under the sun. That's perspective. This is where we live. This is the life we have. Maybe you live to be 80 or 90, or by some miracle, you make it to 100, and that's just a blip. This is not all there is. In fact, Paul said, don't get, don't get hung up here. You go through the hard times, Paul said that this, this light momentary affliction, this what you're going through, this, this struggle, all it's doing is preparing for you an eternal weight of glory that is beyond all compare. So f- forget fairness and fear God. Don't panic or doubt, trust Him. Remember the grace. When things look backwards, remember that grace really is backwards. You are treated as if you have the righteousness of Christ. and Live your life simple. With gratitude and joy, small things, joyful in the Lord. Now look, as we close together praying, I'm going to ask believers one thing and and those of you that are not Christians another. For believers, I'm going to ask you to make a commitment this morning to believe what you say you believe and trust Him. Turn these things over to God. To those that are not yet Christians, I'm going to ask you to come to Jesus. If you join me as we pray together, prepare our hearts to sing our final song. Let's pray your heads bowed this morning, <clears throat> I'd like to ask you as a Christian, as a church member here at Hickory Grove, will you commit today to seek joy in the Lord? Seek joy in the Lord. Will you, will you try to find some contentment in the small things that God has given you? Just enjoy them. Maybe you're not naturally a thankful person, maybe you naturally uh, are a complainer, I wonder if you would repent of that this morning and ask God to give you a heart of gratitude. And then ask the Lord to give you some real perspective on eternity. That this life is short and will soon be over. These things don't matter for eternity. For those of you that are not Christians, if you're watching online or here, I'm not gonna ask you to give your heart to Jesus. I'm gonna ask you to come to Jesus. Come to the cross of Jesus. Look to Jesus and he will give you a new heart. Father, by your word, by the grace you give us in Jesus, by the spirit that moves people, Father, I pray that you would convict people of sin to believe Jesus. I pray that you would comfort your church and use us to glorify the name of your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.